Hey, I'm Taylor Dorson, and this is the Professional Technical Interviewee. Technical interviews are hard, and every company does them differently. On this show, I interview engineering leaders to see what they look for in technical candidates, and then they perform a real technical interview with me. I hope you enjoy. Uh, Zach, how are you? I'm doing great. How about yourself? Doing very well. Thanks so much for, for being here on an early Friday morning. Oh, I appreciate it. I'm always up and moving, and Friday is a great time to just chat with people. Yeah, great. Well, I guess today is Zach Loam, currently the Senior Software Engineering Manager at Amount, uh, based out of Chicago. Anything else I missed? I, I know you've been there for quite a number of years, right? I think yeah, I've been there for, uh, it'll be seven years in two weeks, actually. So the, the anniversary is coming up, which is really fun because as the company has evolved and changed, you know, people go on to other projects, people move to different teams. And so I'm like number three or four in seniority in product development wow. space right now. So a lot of people look up to me just because I've been around and I've seen I've seen us grow from a really tiny startup where I was in a tiny conference room with like five other people on, on a shared desk to like, obviously, you know, COVID, uh, our company split at one point. So like right, half right. the company went to Avant, half the company became Amount, which is obviously where I am now. So yeah, like just seeing it and having been here a while really helps know what we're doing. And we've had um, Umang, who's who's no longer at Amount, but he was on the podcast previously. And then Sean Walters, or Walters, who Walters. was at Active Campaign at the time, is now at Amount. So that's right. Uh, I actually all... report to Sean. And actually, oh, you just interviewed Nate Reynolds, who was at Avant back in 2015 and 2016. I actually worked with him. I was gonna say. So yeah, it. you'll find us everywhere. If you interview in Chicago, you're gonna hit some Avantes and Amounties. Absolutely. The rails almost it does feel like everything in Chicago, the rails routes through Avant, Amount, or Nova at one point, right? Yep. <laughs> about everything. Yeah. Cool. Well, can you share a little bit about um your your role at the company and, and uh kind of your team and what you do? Absolutely. So right now I'm the lead slash manager of the technical architecture team. Uh I report to the VP of engineering, who as you said, that's Sean. Um, so my team is responsible for kind of designing code, establishing best practices for deploying and using code patterns and services and how we break up our services and tooling and how those things interact with each other. So pretty much everything related to architecture from the very low level in terms of like literal, like performant mm -hmm. system use to the high level of how do these services talk to each other? Good. And yeah. do you, you're managing individuals as well? So I'm both managing individuals and I'm contributing both on a consultant and even a code basis. I'm try I I shouldn't be writing code. Everyone is telling me stop writing code, but I'm I I'm a programmer at heart. I always have been and I always will be. And if they don't want me to write code, they will pretty much have to fire me. So please don't <laughs> fire me, Sean, but like I just I love code. So, but yeah, I am I'm managing four people right now. So nice. Not I a big it. team, but and it's traditionally a Rails stack, but is there anything um, else specifically that your team uses or anything interesting described? Yeah, so um, it's still primarily Ruby on Rails, although we're actually moving away from the Rails stuff. The There's actually a new project, that we're, a new service we're going to be starting next week that I'm targeting building in either Rhoda or Sinatra as the mm -hmm. framework or even just raw rack because the goal is performant over everything else. And as you know, Rails is a pretty bloated service. 
Um, so we're kind of investigating that, but also, you know, the company is always written a little bit in Python, a little bit in TypeScript. We've expanded our use of Golang. You know, when you talked to Umang last year, he mentioned that DXP was doing a lot of Golang. Well, that actually did filter into product development just a little bit. And so we have some workflows uh, in our, our newest service that we're building uh, or that we've been building for a while that are actually all written in Go. So we're very slowly expanding out. We've also, you know, we recently acquired a company called Linear FT, who's now a Mount Small Business, and they are a Java shop. And so we've also been looking at ways and patterns to incorporate Java, although that's still very much an ongoing process. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I think it's always interesting as a company grows and you see, okay, this makes sense. And that's where I feel like the Go community is pretty large in Chicago now, where a lot of it came out of someone building smaller projects and then it kind of just expanded within the company. Um, but the Sinatra route's interesting. That's what um, Nate uh, was was talking about there. They were a Sinatra shop for, I think for that reason, right? They wanted something that was a little bit lighter weight when they got started. So yeah. it's interesting. Can you share a little bit about your pathway into technology and how you got into the, the software development field? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, like a lot of people, it was computer, it was video games, it was NES, right? Like I, I wanted to be a, a video game programmer since I was like six years old, pretty much the second I was given an NES, I was like, I need to make this stuff. So uh, we had an old IBM 386. I took the QBasic, you know, it came with the QBasic packages mm -hmm. installed with a couple default games. And I would like, I would change the constants and the values inside of like the tank game. And uh, when we did get like a Windows machine, I, the first thing I did was search for game creation systems. And there was uh, three of them, ZZT, Megazooks, and um, it was like, oh, no, RPG. it was like, oh, no, not another RPG game creation yeah, system. Yeah. Um, and so I would write like scripts and languages in those. So I've literally been doing it pretty much my entire life. Nice. So it was it was a no brainer college programming high school any electives if they could be around programming programming so i was going on the game creation route and then um in 2006 i interviewed actually at volition inc which made you know red faction and saints row at the time and did fairly well in those interviews we might talk about that more a little bit later but i ended up not getting the job for some reasons which again i can get into later and i i did some research afterwards and i'm like oh the game industry is terrifying. Maybe I won't do that. <laughs> and I talked to one of my friends who who recommended a job for me, which was in the web tech space. And I just never looked back. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Can you share a little about the first first interview experience? Because I, I know a lot of people um, I, are in similar shoes, right? Like they love game development and then they start yeah. to get into it and maybe they go... Maybe not, right? Or maybe this industry isn't isn't quite what I thought it would be. Yeah, definitely. Well, it, so I was taking, so this was actually my senior year in college or my super senior year. And I had been taking game creation classes. And one of my friends said, like, you're not good at interviewing. You've never interviewed. You don't know what you're even talking about. So I just applied on a lark literally in the middle of work one day. And they ended up contacting me back because they have uh, contacts at Illinois State University where I went to school. Uh, the interview itself went fairly well. Um, there was one embarrassing moment, which I know you'll want to ask about later, um, where I, I, I did very poorly. But overall, uh, I answered their questions really well. Um, it was a it was a panel style interview that went the whole day. We had a lunch break at the restaurant that was at the bottom floor of the building. And I was getting along very well with all of the developers. 
Um, the panel style interview was like, there was a technical challenge where I had to fix not quite working code. There was a design challenge, which was my favorite question ever. And I actually introduced it into everywhere that I've worked, which is the, what I call the elevator problem. I don't know if you've heard of this problem or interacted yeah. with it before, but basically it's like, given the basic concept of an elevator, how would you design, how would you, what algorithmically would you do for an elevator? And you can get as technical or non-technical as you want in terms of yeah. stuff, but we did it on a whiteboard. Um, there was some design, like graphics work about occlusion and, some basic culture fit questions right mm -hmm. but it was like i think five people in, or six people in total interviewed me and at the end i was talking to the ceo and he's like what's your expected salary range you know like how, what kind of other work have you done and he's like you're still in college but i understand you're about to leave soon when can you start and i said in six months because uh you know it's two more months till the end of the year and then i'm going to be studying abroad for four months i'm going to japan i can't not go to japan i've already uh -huh. paid for this stuff i'm going so i'm really sorry you know i i actually didn't expect to get this far i can start in may and he's like cool we'll put your file we'll put your resume on file and and if we need you we'll, we'll contact you again uh-huh and obviously i never got contacted again because no, no one is going to wait six months for for a <laughs> fresh grad yeah yeah um, and then so when i got back from japan i'm like well what is going on and we started hearing about all the ea the, in the meantime while i was in japan the ea story had come out about like the ea wife and i was like oh okay volition seemed really cool though i'm not saying that volition was anything like that at all right i don't want to speak ill of that company and also this was 12 what 16 years ago so yeah, yeah could be a very different company now they were really neat and i got to see uh red faction gorilla 2 before it was released so nice very cool um but yeah i, I mean my favorite problem and my least favorite problem both came out of that interview <laughs> well it sounds like a good good experience in the you know early stages of your career obviously going through that process and seeing some success but also you know maybe some uh adversity <laughs> to work through in an interview process yes it definitely helps establish a baseline of of what i would end up expecting of people that i interview in terms of what what matters and what doesn't yeah great can you share a little bit about how you found amount and kind of what, what led you to this job yeah it's not going to be a very exciting story unfortunately basically i was working at bank of america at the time and i was feeling really bad imposter syndrome just because of struggling to understand the subject matter expertise like mm. when i was doing platform work i had no problem but there was a lot of finance math involved mm. and i had trouble understanding model vol cubes and yield curves and that was literally my job so i'm like i just need somewhere else so i just started to re responding to recruiters who had been hounding me nonstop, and i ended up picking avant because they sounded like a reasonable, cool startup. They weren't going to cut my pay relative to what I was making at Bank of America. They had good bonuses. Everyone was really friendly and nice. And I was like, yeah, I did well. You know, they offered me a job, which is always good. But I, it was it was a good experience because I was only writing in Python at the time, right? Avant was a Ruby and Rails shop. I had never written or dealt with Ruby before, and they were very accommodating of that, right? They let me try in Ruby because I I tried to, you know, prep work and study. But when I when I started to fund, they're like, write in Python instead. I'm like, cool, I'm going to do this in Python instead, um, which is something that I've also carried on. But yeah, it was that sense of openness of like, your voice will matter. Mm. For me, Bank of America, one of, 10,000 ish programmers across the globe in a team of 20 people, most of whom have 10 plus years experience at the company. 
to go from that where like my boss's boss didn't even know our team existed to a company <laughs> of like at the time i think 50 devs yeah being told explicitly your your voice matters like your opinions of what good code looks like matters i'm like boom let's do it yeah we probably why got out at the right time too, because I know a lot of folks who's, you know, they start a Bank of America and once you're there for a handful of years, that hourly rate goes up and up, that salary goes up and up, and then it's tough to leave, right? Uh, yeah. Really a lot of folks in similar shoes who go, eh, it doesn't make sense to leave, right? Yeah, <laughs> I was still young time. at the time. You know, if, if I'll definitely say if I'd had my two children that I have now back then, probably would have stayed. But yeah. I, I was still, you know, young, so... It always makes it easier to leave when you're young. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe a little bit less risk adverse, right? Yeah. Have you done any technical interviews lately for, for your team internally? Um, Good thing you mentioned internally. So uh, comp we've been actually on a hiring freeze for the company as a whole, but I've actually grown my team from no people to four people. And mm. like I said, in the in the past three months, um, there's no interview process because we're hiring internally from other teams, people that I've already worked with. Again, having been here for seven years, like I literally interviewed and hired a couple of these people or I already managed them in one mm. like space or another. But um, I have kind of built the hypothetical structure for how an interview would go. And uh, there's three bullet points that I'm really targeting specifically when I, for technical architecture in particular besides subject matter expertise, right? We're, we, we need people who are aware of what our code base currently is to be able to envision the future of it. First is passion for documentation and communication because so much of what our job is is not writing code, but actually consulting and, and helping other people write better code, right? Understand like you can't do this stuff synchronously in a loop. You have to break it up into like cues. Cues yeah. is the right strategy. Here's our our documentation on cues, right? So so that's like a really important thing that they these people can come in and say, here's what you do, and the other devs understand. The second thing is a good understanding of how to break down complex problems into manageable parts. Mm -hmm. Because when you do, when we are writing code, it's not like we're going into the service and fixing the code. What we're trying to do is focus on, hey, we've established that best practices for queuing is to use active mq for example but mm -hmm. the libraries for active mq all suck and we're trying to do it in this really weird place let's build a gem that makes it so it's really easy to write active mq right or say like hey we know that our, we have this scalability problem because we're writing millions of records to this database every month what can we do to make it easier for the devs well, what tooling can we build and and what are all of the pieces that are needed to make this happen um, and so being able to break down big problems into little problems is the other part. And the other thing is strong opinions weekly held. This is a phrase that uh, one of my superiors used to say all the time. And I, I love it because you can't be in architecture if you don't really care about the quality of your services, right? Architecture is entirely about building strong foundations, having straight scaffolding, you know, to inc to carry on with the analogy of regular architecture right and so much of it is is being passionate about like we should use parallelism we should be using separate services we should be using a, a NoSQL store instead of a, a relational database for xyz uses right but the weekly held part is equally important because everyone looks us up to us like we are consulting with every other dev in the company and 
sometimes the facts on the ground don't line up with our opinions. Mm -hmm. I have one dev who's a brilliant developer. She's phenomenal. She's really, really, really into functional programming. And so all of her designs have kind of a functional programming flavor, which is great most of the time, but there are use cases where it doesn't make sense exactly. Mm -hmm. And so talking with her, it's, it's, what I like about her on the team is that she'll be like, okay, yeah, I, I thought I, we could use functional programming, but I see that we really need to have some classes that manage some state for here, for this. Fine. Right. And if she wasn't like that, if she wasn't able to give up those opinions to like give the best solutions for the specific mm -hmm. problems, then she wouldn't be a good fit. So basically it's all about like, how do you react to the facts on the ground? How good are you at simplifying the problem into space? And then how good are you at communicating your simplification of the problem so that they understand the full scope? Yeah. I like that a lot. I'm looking for. That's really interesting. I, I even thought about um, like what, what is like really important as, as a technical architect, especially as a company continues to grow. I often think of like making the decision, but not necessarily the documentation part of it and the communication part of it, because if you know you could have the best solution in the world but if it requires people to talk to you every time or some some not great process right to get that information then obviously you're still the bottleneck right it doesn't really yeah. solve anything yeah so that's i've great... had to spend a lot of time making like uml diagrams and then when people are like what okay but how do i write that into code drafting charts that like and sample proofs of concept just to be like here's what i mean when i yeah. say this yeah i'll tell you what though there's nothing better than when i'm digging through some piece of our back end where I'm like, I, I just vaguely understand what I'm even trying to do. And then I hit this thing. I'm like, great. I found where I need to be. And I'm like, Oh, there's actual documentation that is helpful in here. <laughs> right. Like this was written four years ago by someone who's like a, a architect, right? Like this is great. Yeah. Really makes yeah. Life a lot easier. We always try to put readme files at like every folder level of all of our services so that everybody knows what's going on yeah. when they have to dig through code. I love it. Um, you, I think you you also mentioned in the past you've been a part of like helping design the interview process. That's correct. Yeah. So, um, I what was it back in twenty seventeen? I think it was twenty seventeen or or maybe twenty eighteen. Um, mm -hmm. there was an architecture team for a short while. It wasn't technical architecture. It wasn't super well defined. It was it was kind of weird actually. But one of our roles was essentially onboarding and establishing the like the information flow right again it became mm -hmm. a, it was a communication problem and so a lot of it was working with the vp of engineering at the time to uh figure out how we could identify like really good devs and our our interview mm -hmm. process itself didn't change very much but i was responsible for rewriting a lot of the questions we were asking for the code writing portion and the code reading portion in particular mm -hmm. and so and building out those same questions in a couple different spaces so they're like there was a code smells challenge that had been written but it was only in typescript uh because it was written by a front-end dev so i rewrote that same thing in ruby and in python because we try to be language agnostic in our interviews mm -hmm. and go with whatever language the dev is familiar with and having more questions in more languages makes that easier i rewrote the language for our 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 big code writing problem which I ended up actually doing that question, I want to say like 150-ish times, maybe yeah. closer to 200, honestly, um, because I was interviewing sometimes two times a day for like a nine-month period, 
Wow. <laughs> uh, like for a, for like a almost a year, I was like the person doing code writing interviews, and we had like we had other people come in and partner with me at times. You know, there were times where I would switch which question I did, but I was always there. And then, obvious. So the way our interviews worked is we had a a like five person panel. We would do code reading, code writing, uh, an architecture question, which we had a couple, again, like rotating sets of questions on, on how you would design a system, a like history and project, basically like a walkthrough of the resume. And then we would do like a generic like culture fit, which was just like the, the you know, the director of back end being like, hey, what do you like to do? Like, yeah, yeah. right, kind of kind of stuff. And then we would all come together and say, like, what did we like? What didn't we like? Do all of our opinions and experiences line up? Are we all enthusiastic or are a couple people very enthusiastic? A couple people don't care. Mm. And and it basically figure out the results there. But I was there every step of the way, tweaking the questions, tweaking the language and digging deeper and deeper into like how people's responses were proxies for the real question that I wanted to get at, which was how would they do as a programmer at Avant slash mm. what became Amount? Yeah. Because that's what actually matters. Not, are you good at code? Anybody who is a good programmer can become good at writing code, junior, senior, whatever. But being a programmer is more than just writing code. It's working in a particular, you know, agile mindset. It is being able to to under dig through code to find the root cause of bugs. It is being able to handle a code review from both sides, doing the review and being reviewed, walking through your own code and explaining it, as well as writing the code, understanding why certain decisions were made, feeling free to challenge those decisions, right? You can't really, in my opinion, be a senior developer until you're able to defend from like a logical and strategic standpoint why you implemented something a particular way. Yeah. And so the interview, the code writing, that's why I did the same question. One of the one of the rules that I established was I would do the same question for every developer, regardless of scale and scope, so that I could really see who was answering the question in the strategic, clever, thought through way and who was just flying by the seat of their pants. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Interesting. And I, I'm sure at that scale too, I mean, when you're talking about hundreds of interviews, you, you learn a lot and see a lot of patterns. I mean, was was there you mentioned what you're looking for within um your your architecture team now and kind of making sure that you're you're looking for like people who work well at Anova, but well, sorry at avant avant at the time which became amount yeah i know uh, it's fun it's the super cardinal fun. sin <laughs> yeah um i'm even wearing the the amount shirt there so you go the, is there any today um particular trends or traits that you saw um, from those individuals that that you thought uh showed that they would be successful when working yeah. at amount absolutely so um i can think back to a couple instances that that ended up not working well even though they were senior programmers in past which i think was almost more illustrative than who did well and a lot of juniors actually whose answers were not necessarily very good but who who exhibited the traits that i was looking for who did phenomenally well so um for the latter let's do the the, the simple one um the programmers who in the code writing it, part of the interview communicated their thought processes clearly to me while they were doing it mm. and noticed their mistakes as soon as they were relevant did better, right? The the people that actually were paying attention to the code they wrote and said, oh, 
this isn't going to work. Let me let me go back a step. Yeah. Those people universally did better than the people who just bulleted, you know, like pushed their way through and then needed to be prompted to be like, hmm, you're not getting the right result. Why aren't you getting the right result? Because mm. I would always give like, you know, question type feedback of like, well, why don't you think this is working? Does this make sense for tracking balance? Does this make sense for tracking payments? You know, like I, again, I tweaked the language of this question like 15 different times to make yeah. it perfect <laughs> for, for, for people because it was everybody. So like the people, so juniors almost universally would make the same mistakes when they started. Um, this was, this is a question about like, uh, tracking credits and debits on a card basically and then being able to calculate how much is is owed it's fairly straightforward as a question but uh you would see almost all of them just use a scalar to track balance to start with if they were juniors seniors would would be a little bit more cognizant of the requirement right at the top of the question you need to keep track of of credits and debits right like i explicitly say that and and juniors would miss that but the juniors that noticed that they missed that and went back did better conversely what i found is like the rockstar 10x programmers <laughs> like they would bullet you know they would solve the question in like 20 minutes or 30 minutes if we have an hour for it and i there's like extra credit questions on top and sometimes i only had a couple people together but there was this one dev in particular who just knocked out everything immediately i'm like wow you're really freaking good this is awesome but like he was so confident and so sure and he wrote the code and he was done and when we got him in, he barely did anything. He was mm. like, I'm too smart to work on these problems. And he was like really pushy about how stuff needed to be done. And he ended up breaking one of our core storage systems for like log audit logging for, for one of our, our systems. And it was like a nightmare dealing with him because I couldn't get a read on his th thought processes when he was going through he was clearly technically proficient but he was a terrible programmer because he didn't know how to collaborate or, or cooperate with the his project manager so that's, that's really, really it it's, it's about the meta skills it's not about the programming it's about can you understand the logic of programming and can you understand the logic of breaking down a problem into solvable parts i think that that's be good for a lot of folks to hear too because the people always think oh i have to become a better i have to learn this skill better right which is coding whatever your preferred language is right and that's certainly a piece of it but that is the stuff you learn in the job and from being in it every day they're the soft skills like the the stuff outside of that that actually i think help you grow in the long run right like you said you exactly. can't be a senior developer unless you can do that you might be really good at react but unless you can do that it'd be difficult for you to move above a level where you're just contributing code right yeah if you can do anything from an architecture perspective any type of real technical leadership you have to have those skills so you can actually help others do that as well right yeah Right. Like it, it, a lot of the people that become very good at writing code typically become very good at, at like one particular type of pattern or one particular type of problem. Like, again, like, oh, I'm really good at building these re React and Redux spaces. But if you ask them, OK, but you've got to go into the back end now and figure out this like, uh, again, like like some sort of like message queue system that's recoverable, even if the job fails in the middle. Uh, using a dependency injection system where the configuration is stored in vault, like how would you build that? And they just freeze up because it's it's out of their wheelhouse. Whereas if you understand the design patterns around parallelism, around message queuing and pub sub, if you understand the broad concepts of what's going on, you can come to a better solution.
Well, let me turn the turn the tables here a little bit. In the past, when you've been in technical interviews, how do you feel you did? You mentioned the the one from yeah. early in your career that went went pretty well. Um, do you think you're good at them, bad at them, somewhere in between? Depends on the interview. I think that I generally do very well because I know what people are looking for, right? It, mm. it is that most of the time it's the communication skills and it's the the general expertise skills, right? I know how to program. I know how to answer your problem space, right? If Since I've been in finance for so long, right? Bank of America, Amount mm -hmm. Avant. I understand a lot of the, the finance problems that you're trying to solve, which are very different from the game design problems. Um, which so if I'm going out of my subject matter expertise, I I admit that like that's something I need to grow on. I and people like to hear, yeah, I'm not perfect at this. I'll grow on this, right? Um, so I th I think I tend to do pretty well in interviews, quite honestly. But it, it's not like I've done a lot of them. The only recent interview I did was the uh, you know when Basecamp announced, uh, you know, DHH said, hey, we're hiring for a director of uh, engineering through base salary 343,000. I'm like, yeah, I'll apply for that. Sure, I got through the interview it. process, but uh, no, I did not, in fact, <laughs> become the director of engineering at Basecamp. Sure. So, yeah. so I didn't do well enough there. Well, I'm curious, do you have any type of system you use to break down questions? Or, or let's say you're in a position where you go, okay, I don't have an immediate solution for this. Right? Well, what do you do? Um, I think I kind of covered it a little bit when I was talking about what I'm really trying to observe. So I, mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't call it a system so much as like a set of arbitrary heuristics, which is one of the advantages, right, of a panel of interviewers is everybody's going to have their own way of approaching how a person did. And having mm -hmm. lots of different people means you're more likely to converge on like a, a proper solution. But yeah, so for me, generally, it's it's really about identifying as closely as I can, those, those things that I've kind of applied, like how much attention do you pay to the questions themselves and how much care and attention do you pay to the things that I and my partner interviewer, if there is one are saying about the questions or asking about your code, basically mm -hmm. attention to detail is one of those like meta skills, but especially in programming. And when you're looking and dealing with code is super important, right? Cause one line can make the difference between working and not working. So attention to detail. Um, when you run into a problem or design flaw or confusion issue, how quickly do you notice and how do you go about clarifying or resolving it? Again, that mm. iterative strategy I found is a much more effective strategy than just being right every time. Yeah. I've been doing this for, you know, two decades now. I'm not right the first time, like nine times out of 10. Yeah. So people that are more, like I said that earlier, right? People that are more cognizant of their flaws who are reviewing their code as they go through it tend to do better. Um, how much prep work do people do in the sense of like, uh, it could be writing out the code and revising it. It could be planning or sketching or doing TDD. It could be just rereading the question out loud. But I found generally that people that are measured and thoughtful tend to do better. So I pay attention to how often the develop, the person is stopping themselves and taking a moment to breathe. Hmm. Um, I, uh, what's, and again, it's that whole like flying by the seat of your pants versus the other thing. There's a phrase I say at work all the time. It drives people nuts that I keep saying it. It's measure twice, cut once, mm -hmm. right? It's very architecture <laughs> philosophy, but it does see, pay dividends. And you can something you can see in a code writing interview. And then the last is how good are you communicating out your thought processes and your strategies, and most importantly, your expectations, right? If, if a project manager gives you a ticket that has like, vague results and you just kind of deliver whatever and 
neither of the people, no one involved is communicating clearly what they think the result should be, it becomes much more difficult to get a good outcome. And again, those sure. are the sorts of things you can all evaluate in an interview. So it's not a system. There's no, like, I don't have like a ranked number points, but like, I'm always looking at those bullet points and writing notes about how their answers or their behaviors match or fail against those points. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That, I think that's very helpful. And and again, echoes what you've been talking about, right? Like a yeah. lot of these things are things you can improve without just, you know, you don't have to crank out just hours and react to get better at these things, right? These are things you can practice and work on outside of um, outside of just writing code. That's idea. right. Do you have, I mean, I think these are all, all good things. Do you have any other tips or advice for folks who are going into interviews? Um, maybe they're, they haven't done technical interviews in a while or they're, they're, they don't like them. Um, any advice yeah. for folks outside uh, of those You know, I, I, I'm just going to be, again, repeating myself over and over and over. Communicate, 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 yeah. communicate. Yeah, it's, that's it. Like I said, even in interviews where I'm not in the same domain that I should be an expert in, I just say, honestly hey this isn't really what i do today this is not what i know super well but here's something i do know right mm -hmm. i i always say here's what i think is the problem here's what i think is the solution here's why i think it that level of detail helps the interviewer understand you better mm -hmm. so much more like if you write bad code but you can walk me through that code that's going to be more valuable or if you're doing like a non-technical like architecture challenge and you don't quite know, like they're like, oh, do you want to use a, a DB, you know, like a NoSQL or a, a relational DB, but you've never interacted with NoSQL. You don't actually know how NoSQL works. You don't know any NoSQL libraries, which has happened to me, by the way, in terms of me interviewing other people where they, mm -hmm. I ask about that and they have no clue. Just saying like, okay, I don't know what a NoSQL story is. Can you describe it to me? Can you, are you allowed to explain that to me? Right? Like literally be open and communicative with your interviewer. That's it. Yeah. Ask questions, but be honest too. Don't pretend like, you know, something when you don't, we will find out. Yeah. Well, I think there's a hesitancy from a lot of folks when they're in interviews to say like, oh, I'm not, I don't, I don't really know this thing. Cause they're like, if someone's asking me about it, I obviously should know. Right. But it, just being upfront about that, it does help because sometimes you get a great explainer, right? Someone can say, oh, here's here's all the details. And you have an interesting conversation where you can actually build off of, right? Exactly. Versus you say, oh, yeah, I'm familiar with that. And then they ask you more questions and clearly you're not, right? And then it's just kind of a, right. either an X yeah. or a question mark at best, right? Kind of on that, that point in the interview, so. Right, exactly. Like the worst thing that happens if they ask you a question about some technical specific thing that you don't know is that they really do expect you to know those things and you don't and you would have a terrible time working at the job and you shouldn't get that job anyways like i hate to say it sometimes you interview for a job that's not a good fit for you and you got to really? be comfortable with that idea so like just be honest always be honest yeah yeah uh, do you have any different advice or additional advice for folks who might be early career maybe this is their first or second job search yes the main, I mean, want to repeat really quickly what I what I said before about like admit what you don't know. But mm -hmm. second, I think the other thing is you're you're allowed to hand wave solutions and just be like, hey, I'm hand waving this because I want to, you know, like I'll, if I have time, I'll get to the details and I'll mm -hmm. figure it out. But it'll it would take me a longer time. So being comfortable with hand waving, and then this the second thing is really do your best to communicate the idea that you are care that you care about investing in yourself growing as a developer and a programmer.
because when you're hiring for a junior or someone who's right out of college, you're not hiring someone who's, we know you're not going to be a good coder. Like that's fine, but we want you to become a good coder. And ideally we want you to become a good coder fast. And the only way that that happens is if you care about how, what you want to learn about, you have to show your passion, Mm. show your passion and show that your passion is about growing your abilities and capabilities in, in yourself. That's really important at, like to get across and make clear to the interviewer is like, yeah, I know I only know some Ruby, but I really am passionate about scalability. I'm really passionate about your subject matter space. Finance is a really fascinating problem or game development. I love game. You know, that's the game development has no shortage of passion, but like there are definitely people who just are trying to like apply because they're like, eh, I can knock it out or whatever. Or this seems really popular. And that's, we don't, you know, those people don't grow as well. And especially for juniors, you, you got to show that your passion is with yourself, not necessarily like it's good to have it for the space or for the company, but like it has to be in yourself because we're going to be investing time in you. And we want to see that investment reflected. Yeah. It- do you have advice on good ways to show that in an interview? Obviously, you can talk about things you're doing, you know, skills you're working on or courses you're taking, anything else that you might advise? That's kind of a tricky question. It depends a lot on on what interview question you're being asked. If you're if I'm doing the code writing question, right, it's going to be a lot harder to communicate what your passions are. Although I always leave room at the end for Q&A. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's like usually like 50 to 55 minutes and then five to 10 at the end to just talk. So there's like a little slice in there, but it, you know, again, like if it's about the the history one or the culture fit, that's your time to just explain and talk and say like, Hey, I, I'm really interested in X, Y, Z thing. Do you do X, Y, Z thing? I know that, or like, even in the code writing, if you're like, I don't know this problem, but this, you know, like I was reading about an article about this, right. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's not about your bona fide so much as like, what have you done or shown or what will you do? Honestly, sending a letter after the interview within like a day of like, Hey, I checked out these articles you mentioned in the interview or, Hey, I, I watched some videos. This is really fascinating stuff. I'm going to start a project. Like, I know it seems like overkill, but that stuff is always appreciated too. It is hard to show sometimes though. I'll admit it. I, 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 agree with the the follow-up right like i think early on i got through a lot of interviews that probably shouldn't have because someone mentioned something and then i went oh i actually wouldn't look this up right and if i have time you don't always have time but yeah. if i have time great can i slap something together that shows i didn't just read the article i actually internalized at least some of it right yeah um, or, or taking the problem that that we worked on if i didn't finish it you know then going and making a replica where it's like oh here's yes. just the last little bit i had a couple devs do that where they would you know email me a couple hours later saying hey i know we didn't finish the problem in the interview but i i sat down and i finished it now because it's really interesting i love that i always love that i'm always going to give you positive marks for like engaging with the problem beyond the interview itself it's good best practice because there's a decent chance you'll see a similar problem in the future <laughs> so you should yeah. probably know how to, how to figure it out Oh, great. Well, before we move into the break, I know you mentioned earlier an embarrassing moment in the interview. Is there any uh, horrible interview experiences you want to share or embarrassing experiences that people Absolutely. relate to? So first, I'm going to do one that would, I was interviewing, so it wasn't embarrassing for me. And then I'll, I'll do the one that I felt like mortified by. So the first is um, one of the, the way our interview process is before they get to the panel of interviewees, we do a phone screener, which is like, mm-hmm fizz buzz level right like can you write code do you understand code and i was talking yeah. to this person online we have coder pad set up and and i get through the problem and he kind of hems and haws for like six or seven minutes and doesn't 
really like he writes some code that doesn't work and then it, he disconnects and it looks like a disconnect and i'm very um generous in my opinion of what's happening so i'm like oh no he disconnected so i call him back and i don't get an answer i'm like oh he must be having some sort of like phone problems all right i'll call him back again i call him back again like a couple minutes later and he's like uh i i don't i don't think i'm gonna do this job and i'm like huh and he's like yeah i i don't think i can do this bye and he just hangs up and like his resume had him as like a mid-level developer. He's like, I have years of experience writing code. And he like literally couldn't answer like a basic for a loop. So I don't know what was going on, but I was like, this is the most awkward strength. Like those five minutes where he was just like, uh, dot each. Wait, uh, no, for, I want to do a for loop. I'm like, well, it's Ruby. You don't, you know, oh, okay. Uh, how did, how did eat like it was literally not even the right language of code it, it was very weird so that peter, was like peter evans who was a past guest used to uh say they always gave out fizzbuzz and people used to be like why are you giving me this question he's like we call it fizzbuzz the destroyer because <laughs> regularly people hit it and i do think it's a great like just making sure okay is this person can you should be able to do this a handful of minutes right if you can't then something's something is misaligned right and i think there's a exactly. nice screener question you got to have a screener question and then so for me it was at, back at the volition interview I, like i said there was a, a technical challenge where i was seated in front of incomplete code and asked to complete it well what that code was was uh like it was like a windows graphic library where they mm -hmm. had a circle and a square and what had been implemented is you could drag either of the items they said implemented so that whenever the two intersect a little text box comes up which is really basic crap for video game design but the thing is i like i said i was in my game programming classes at the time it had taken me like two weeks just to figure out how to get like a compass ui element to point the right direction i am garbage at geometry like matrix math vector math geom ge like i i failed geometry in high school so i'm like and i did the one thing that i said you should never do which is why i say you never do it i just sat there i just was like just looking at the code for like six or seven minutes and with these two people standing above uh -huh. me waiting for me to do something and the pressure got to be too much and i was like i i don't know the algorithms or like the the the, the math to figure this out i can't i can't do this i'm sorry i don't know how to do this and i was like the interview's freaking over now this fucking i was i was so embarrassed i was sorry and I was just like, oh, God. And you know what happened when I said this? I don't know how to do this is they said, well, we can give you the, the basic equation. Why don't you just hack at the code for a while and see what you can get done in the next 20 minutes? Uh -huh. And so they gave me like the, the the actual, you know, tangent of like from center to center or whatever. Like, you know, the rate. I don't remember the actual thing because, yeah. again, this was 16 years ago and I'm still bad at geometry. But the point is I was actually able to get it to work at the end because they gave me that info because I admitted I didn't know. But those seven minutes, again, nothing is worse in an interview than seven minutes of silence. Yeah. Never, ever, ever just sit there, please. It feels terrible for you, and it feels terrible for the interviewer, too. I know sure. those two people standing over me were like, oh, boy. Yeah. Well, and probably so happy when you actually said something, right? Because they don't yeah. want to butt in until, they yeah. don't know, maybe you're working on the perfect solution up there, or maybe you're completely lost, right? Well, that's so. the thing is, if I'm working on the perfect solution up there, I should be able to say, like, yeah. okay, well, here, here's what I'm going to do. Here's Right? And I couldn't. 
I mean, I had nothing. I, had, I, my, my brain blanked. I froze real bad. And yeah, so I learned from failing so miserably that like actually failure is not the worst thing that can happen for a number of reasons, but also like, it's okay. But like, oh my gosh, I was like terrified. Cause I'm like, crap, my, the one thing I knew I had to study and then failed to prepare for was exactly the question they asked was geometry. That's a classic, classic first interview experience. I love it. Yeah. Great. Well, let's take a break here and then we come back. We'll move into the technical portion. All right. So, all right. Sounds good. Thank you for watching the first half of the professional technical interviewee. The technical interview will be released one week from this episode. So be sure to subscribe to make sure you don't miss it. New episodes are released on the first four Thursdays of each month. Find us on YouTube at youtube.com slash or on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes. And remember, keep practicing.